Chapter six of On the Exercises of Piety by Jean Gibert. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Holy Communion. Section one What is Received at the Holy Table. Holy Communion is not an exercise as distinct from Holy Mass and it is only by an act of toleration that the church permits one to communicate apart from the holy sacrifice while the flesh of the divine victim is still on the altar and after it has been offered to god as the living expression of religious duty the priest distributes it he is bound to feed upon it himself then he gives it to the faithful in the primitive church all came to take part in the feast of the lamb in our days all who attend do not draw near but all are invited and many are led on by holy desires to accept the invitation holy communion then is the natural consummation of the sacrifice of the mass therein the flesh of christ is received as food the priest and the faithful partake of it as the bread of the soul my flesh says jesus is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you shall not have life in you he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath everlasting life and i will raise him up at the last day this is the bread that came down from heaven he that eateth this bread shall live for ever john chapter six verses fifty through fifty nine these words of the gospel show us clearly what to look for in the holy eucharist we communicate neither to experience overpowering sweetness nor exactly to receive the divine visit but in order to eat the bread that giveth life this heavenly bread repairs loss renews strength fits us for work and arms us for the fight certainly it gives joy and fills us with the ineffable presence of god but above all it is bread and the place where we partake of it is called the holy table thus understood holy communion is manifested to us in its necessity and its effects he who does not eat this bread will die sooner or later and the life of god will perish in his soul but before dying out for want of nourishment this life after becoming weakened and powerless to defend itself will fall under the blows of enemies who harass it unceasingly within and without hence the necessity for this divine manna the christian has no right to go without it besides what does he not gain in disposition and moral character from this divine food in proportion as he assimilates the substance of it he becomes more vigorous more capable of resistance more ardent more active and more persevering for strength and animation will have energized his whole being compare souls who communicate with those who do not follow both classes in the practice of the moral life 
we may be quite sure that observation will not give the lie to the promises made by christ to those who receive the heavenly bread look where to find those who control the baser passions those at any rate who never admit defeat by them those who make daily efforts to attain to a better life those who give up their time and their lives to the exercise of charity those who are most scrupulous in the discharge of the duties of their state of life and those whose conscience is a mentor always heeded because its voice is taken for the very voice of god where will you find them unless it is principally among those who communicate and whose hearts are strengthened and uplifted by the living bread the experience of nineteen centuries has borne witness to the words of jesus he who refuses this bread rejects life and he who is careless about taking it has only a drooping life and he who feeds upon it with a holy hunger has a happy and overflowing life the mere character of holy communion shows plainly enough how frequent it ought to be if it were to us nothing else than the visit of the king of kings we might be kept away from it through fear of bringing some hurt to this supreme majesty or from the irksomeness of having to get ready for a royal reception but it is a question of giving bread to the famished of supplying nourishment to those who are exhausted with toil and who need to be equipped for a fresh task when bread is set before him the workman has no need to be pressed he takes it as soon as he is hungry and this is the rule by which to measure the frequency of your communions you will consult your needs both those of your moral life and those of your heart and next you will consult your desires not those which might spring from a certain vanity but those that take their rise in a true love of christ then you will display to your spiritual director the state of your soul and you will follow the directions he gives you if he finds you have a real hunger for the holy eucharist and if he observes that this bread nourishes you and develops your moral life he will not hesitate to throw the gates of the divine banquet wide open for you even the direction to communicate every day need not make you puffed up or timid for you ought not to regard it as a favour or a burden but merely as a necessity to eat day by day the bread of life and to benefit by it section two preparation for holy communion from the fact that holy communion gives us a seat at the father's table it does not follow that we may draw near it without respect you will show the due measure of your respect and love in the preparation that you bestow upon them this preparation comprises a habitual state of purity of soul efforts of will to merit the grace of god and an ardent appeal of the heart at the moment of reception the holy eucharist as you know is only given to the living because it is a bread of life it has nothing to do with the dead if there were some grave sin on your conscience do not go to the holy table 
thus to take the flesh and blood of christ would be in the words of st paul to eat and drink judgment to yourself 1 corinthians chapter 11 verse 29 that is to say it would be to your condemnation let this sin which was that of judas never be yours it were better to undergo any sort of shame than to incur the curse of such a sacrilege you must then be in a state of grace when you communicate but for the pious soul this will be too little not only will mortal sin not reign in you venial sin itself will not hold any power over you doubtless you cannot avoid all faults so great is our fragility but at least you will not love any of them and you will deplore them all with sincerity of heart but as soon as you can say to god lord thou knowest that i love thee john chapter twenty one verse seventeen and as soon as you can say it with truth be at peace you will not be the slave of any sin and you will have that inner purity that finds favour in the eyes of god thus clad in the wedding garment you can often go into the lamb's feast take care however to prepare for the bridegroom gifts to delight him i mean a sheaf of merits gathered by your endeavours or better still let us borrow from the table and the bread the lesson taught by their symbols remember what the apostle wrote if any man will not work neither let him eat two thessalonians chapter three verse ten the bread then is there for him who has earned it further the idler does not hunger for sustenance the worker alone in spending his life gives birth to the keen desire for its renewal would you too earn your eucharistic bread work would you awaken in your soul an appetite for the heavenly bread again work now the work of the soul is goodness therefore strive to-day to overcome temptation to triumph over curiosity and ill-humour to spread around you the joy that shines through kindness to fulfil with regularity and perfection all the duties of your state of life and then to-morrow you will go without fear to the holy table because you will have earned your bread you will even feel a hearty appetite for the heavenly manna because you will have trained your life beforehand when the hour for communion has come remain in the greatest tranquillity and be full of simple confidence as befits a son in his father's house follow the mass with devotion uniting in the acts and prayers of the priest and thinking what the church has set down to prepare the priest to communicate is also an excellent preparation for the believer nevertheless you may have recourse to the religious forms contained in books of devotion but on condition that you do not look for sensuous satisfaction in them for god does not give himself to your senses but to your faith and this is exactly why you will begin with an act of faith in the real presence of jesus living under the appearance of bread in order to feed you with his flesh and then looking through your conscience 
you will pray god to blot out the last traces of sin and you will use the humble words of the centurion lord i am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof but only say the word and thy servant shall be healed matthew chapter eight verse eight you will then call for him with all the ardour of your desires and you will give yourself up to all the inspirations of divine love your prayer repeated a hundred times will be come lord jesus come be the bread of my life the peace of my senses the light of my mind the strength of my will the joy of my heart be all mine section three thanksgiving after holy communion you will not be one of the ungrateful poor who as soon as they have received bread turn away from their benefactor and instead of blessing the hand that has loaded them with bounty rather murmur at having received too little to be thankful you need only follow the good impulse of your heart but your faith too will incline you to be thankful by reminding you of the value and absolute gratuitousness of the gift which has been committed to you your thanksgiving will be divided into two parts you will begin it before leaving the church and you will follow it up throughout the day unless urgent business calls you to go out do not leave the church until you have spent a quarter of an hour in giving thanks to god these few minutes are indeed all too short for pouring out the feelings of your heart but if they are faithfully observed they will be a pledge of your gratitude during these precious moments the happiest of your life do not labor to extract any extraordinary thoughts from your mind but rather open your heart and let it take its course if it needs arousing by some form of prayer take a book to stir it up but as soon as the flame is kindled let it alone it will adore by means of an act of faith the god who has given himself to it it will thank him for coming thus under the form of bread to restore its life it will set forth before him the needs of the soul the needs of those whom it loves and the needs above all of those whom it mourns it will offer him all that it is and all that it has its failings that he may mend them its weaknesses that he may supply them and its powers that he may use them to the glory of his father and it will conclude with a steadfast promise of becoming better by checking such and such faults or by practising such and such acts of virtue however recollected and generous a soul may be during this quarter of an hour it has not done enough to discharge its debt and it carries away with it when it leaves the memory of the benefits received and it proposes to prolong its thanksgiving during the hours and days following reflecting that it is a living bread that was consumed at the altar the soul concludes that it must assimilate this food and show itself stronger in moral action and as it has noticed that the holy eucharist is often spoken against and despised by the world 
because certain pious people have exhibited to the world lives that the holy eucharist has not made better it wishes its conduct to be a public reparation for the hurt done to god and the living preaching of the excellence hidden in the holy eucharist and this is why such an one returning to his family or his business gives open testimony by his life that one who is great and holy dwells and acts within him this high being who by holy communion indwells him is revealed by his calmness in action his gentleness in word his amiability of manner his strength in enterprise his unselfishness in service and by his strict fidelity to all the duties of his state of life if a man is thus to rise above himself if the steadfastness of his virtue is to prove that a superhuman power possesses him he must give himself up uninterruptedly to keeping himself in dependence upon him whom he has received in holy communion conforming to his thoughts and submitting to his influence and in a word borrowing his life and this constant endeavour becomes his living act of thanksgiving end of chapter six